there's uh, plenty of questions today about how you might play this, uh, if you might get up in his face or if you might be respectful. Uh, how did that go for you? Uh, first of all, you know, uh, I figure I don't want to do too much. I don't want to scare him out of the fight because right now I've given him the A side. I've taken the B side. So I didn't want to do too much. I didn't want to scare him. So, but you know what? I'm just happy he's here. You know, get the party rolling, get the show rolling. So we'll see. Great line in the press. He said, look, he's got the golden ticket. He's a WBO mandatory for Anthony Joshua. He could have just sat and waited. He's taken a risk by fighting you, and you want to grab that opportunity and grab that golden ticket for yourself. Yes. You know, uh, my mentality for this fight is I want to take what's his and make mine. So basically, in the short term, it means I want to go in his house and take it by force. And that's what I'm going to do. Is that what the cap is? No mercy. The way to beat him is by throw everything that you can within throw reason. It. Throw everything. If he knocks me out, he knocks me out. So I want to be knocked out by him and then I'll be happy. There is an argument that uh, he was a world-class amateur and undisputed cruiserweight champion, that he's seen every sort of style that you can see. But do you believe that he's boxed anybody as physical as you? Yeah, you know, he, 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 put it this way, man. You can only need to be the best in your own era because there will be nobody out there to fight you who can challenge you. You know, uh, you have to look at it like he's good at that era when he won the gold, you know, AJ won the gold, and then suddenly things happen, you know. But, you know, he's a good guy, man. He can dance, mm. you know. And I know, he's, I know exactly how he's going to be dancing around the ring. So I'm going to need a good ref, somebody who's going to let me work inside. If you catch him clean, do you believe that you can knock him out? Do you think he can be knocked out? I want to knock him out. My whole point is knock his lights out. I want to hit him everywhere I can hit him. His hands, his shoulders, his body, his nose, everywhere. All I'm saying is this will be one of the best fights in the next 10 years. You'll see. Is this your route to a shot of the World Heavyweight title? He, he is the mandatory. So if you win, presumably you would take that spot. If I win, I'll take that spot. And listen, I, I just love fighting, man. You know, I'm trying to put in three fights this year. I love fighting. David, uh, Derek has said, I will throw everything physically possible I can at this man. And if he's still standing at the end of it, then good luck to him. Yeah. Is it Watchers or and is that the only way to beat this guy? Yeah, it's the only way. He can't um, have a boxing match with someone who's a superior boxer. He can't, you know, expect his footwork to come anywhere close to what Usyk's footwork can produce the angles, the speed, the timing, his amateur pedigree, you know, his um, undisputedness, his undefeatedness. You know, the, the guy's made no, no, um, no mistakes in his career so far, and he's it's not like he's been looked after. He's been in world, genuine, bona fide world title fights from nearly day dot, and um, he's a he's a dangerous customer. I think they've, I think the sums just don't tally up for for Usyk, although he's significantly a better long-range boxer more skilled this is a heavyweight boxing contest it's, it's not like any other weight governed uh, weight category you know these guys aren't evenly matched this you know, Derek Chisora is naturally 30 kilograms bigger his wrist his hands his shoulders his skeleton is significantly heavier heavier than you six he's just a bigger man all round so that is something that Usyk hasn't had to deal with before. And as he, if he has had to deal with that size, it's been in an amateur, amateur form where the punches were a lot more long range. The referees wanted some boxing. This is going to be a dogfight. Derek's going to get close to him, put his head on his chest, and he's going to beat the living daylights out of him. And as, he said, as, as Derek said, if Usyk somehow is able to withstand what Derek is going to bring, then he deserves it. But I, I've never seen anything in Usyk's career so far to suggest that he can maintain a pace with a heavyweight coming at him like a like a lunatic. You know, Derek Derek's gonna Derek's gonna it's got his only way to win is to jump all of it. A similar a similar manner in which uh, Tyson Fury dethroned uh, Deontay Wilder. You know, no one thought he could run across the ring and just put it on him like he did, but he did. He wasn't expecting it. He wasn't. He's never had it happen to him before. He's never had a man significantly bigger than Wilder's never had that happen to him before. And Usyk's never had it either. He's never had a big man jump all over him. Never had it for 12 rounds. And I, I don't think he can prepare for that. I think it takes years to prepare to take the abuse that a big man brings. But he'll find that out in round two, three, and four.
You know Derek better than anyone, and correct me if I'm wrong, but half of the battle with Derek is getting him in the right mind space, yeah. getting him mentally right for this fight. One of the things that could happen, you've mentioned the footwork, is uh, Derek becoming frustrated in a yeah. fight. With your training yeah. and your preparation, will you get sparring partners almost to get him frustrated? And once he's frustrated, you can work then and, yeah, and get sure, him in that right yeah. mentality. That is exactly what the, that's exactly what we're doing. We're putting in slick southpaws. We're putting in six southpaws who are going to try and stay away from him. Some are going to hold their feet. Some are going to go toe-to-toe. But he needs to learn to cut the ring off significantly better than he has done in previous fights because if he doesn't he won't get close enough to land the big shots so it's, it's about cutting the ring off it's about getting inside and getting inside taking as little damage as possible and you know it, it gets to a, a place where maybe you might have to take one or two to land your one that might have to be the case you know if he's not having success getting into range you know clean without taking any big shots then you know you're gonna have to do whatever you've got to do to get to get in and get the fight won and it's, uh, it's going to be a, an impossible mission in many people's eyes, but it's a mission, I believe, Derek Tazor, at this current, current place where he's living at the moment. A year ago, he wasn't ready. Two years ago, definitely not ready. Even in his last fight, he wasn't physically ready for 12 rounds. You know, even beating um, David Price, all good and well, but that version of Derek wasn't good enough to beat Alexander Usyk. No way. So he's, he's going to need to step up, and he is he's fitter now than he was on fight night. And this is as training camp starts now. You know, we've got less than 11 weeks to go to this big, to this big showdown at the O2 Arena. And Derek is, is doing all the things that I've always hoped he would do in, the, in his prior fights leading up to now. But he's there. He's there now, and he's fine. Now he's looked at Yusik in the eyes, and he said, I didn't, see any, I didn't see anything there. He said he, he didn't see one flicker of nervousness, one bit of... One, ounce of you know, unconfident vibes at all and I could I was looking in his eyes he was rock solid why should Yusik fear Chisora he's beaten world champions the Olympic gold medalist you know he's he's the man he's pound for pound they, that which means a pound of him would beat a pound of pretty much every other fighter on the planet you know and the people got him in the round number five there so I understand why he doesn't fear Derek but you don't you, it's hard to fear what you don't understand what you don't know and that's the difference in this fight he will figure something out in the first round, second round, that, ah, this is going to be a different fight than I expected. Just finally, it's been business as, as usual today, and one thing that Eddie Hearn said is that it's out of our hands. Until we're told otherwise, we have to continue yeah. business as normal. Um, have you guys taken any steps at all in your training camp with the threat of coronavirus? Um, or will you cross that bridge when it comes oh, to yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. That's why I'm wearing gloves. I'm wearing gloves now. Derek even then said, make sure when you were out and about today, Everyone wears gloves when people come into the gym. They've got the hand sanitizers. You know, it's, it's locked down. That no one comes into the gym where Derek trains unless they're there to work, unless they're you know they're healthy. And it's a, it's a weird area that we've, we've found ourselves in. But you can just you know play you know, play the game of the cards you've been dealt. And as far as we're aware, you know May 23rd is good to go. And um, if the fight was in a month or six weeks, I might start worrying. I would be very worried. But the fact the fight's a little bit further away, things are starting to look a little bit better out there at the moment. The markets are bouncing back a bit. The world seems to be realizing that, you know, the sun is going to come up and set, you know, yeah. calm down, everything's okay, you know. But make, take precautions um, 100% and we're taking every precaution we can, you know, in the gym. You know, the sparring partners are in the house. They go from the house to the gym and back, and that's it, just to make sure there's no. There's no, no fighters get, get sick because one thing you don't want is a sparring partner getting sick and bringing that into the gym and then can't ha that can't happen. It's just too much at stake. You know, you've got 20,000 people at the O2 Arena. We do not want to put any of that in jeopardy. Brilliant. Well, be safe and stay safe. Thank you for talking to us. Very quick video here just to recommend this video. Yeah, I said I wouldn't do any more uh, videos on this particular subject, but this is the final nail in the coffin for the demented Wilder fanboys who don't know a damn thing about boxing, certainly don't know a damn thing about professional fight gloves, and they've come up with this absurd claim that Fury tampered with his gloves and that he had a closed fist, which was only halfway inside the glove. How on earth that benefits him is beyond me, okay? And it occurred in the first fight anyway, so that has nothing to do with the second fight. I mean, these people are so deranged, it's unbelievable. But this video right here is the final nail in the coffin. This video shows in slow motion what Tyson Fury's gloves are doing, and it shows that his glove, his hand, excuse me, is fully inside the glove.
It's the final nail in the coffin. It's really sad that people like me and others and the person who put this video together feel like we have to go to these lengths to prove what should be obvious to anybody who has two working brain cells. <laughs> and that is that there was no glove tampering going on. They're talking about Tyson Fury's hand wasn't all the way in the glove. Tyson Fury is six foot nine inches tall. Now, I am nowhere near six foot nine inches tall, and I struggle to fit my hand into most professional fight gloves. So I can only imagine how big Tyson Fury's hands are at six foot nine. <laughs> how, how he's going to struggle to fit his hands into a pair of 10 ounce professional fight gloves, even if they're XLs. So is the base of his palm where it connects to the wrist going to be further down than it would for other fighters? Of course it is. He's got massive hands. He's a huge man. So anyway, watch this video, share this video. It's only got how many views? It's got less than 2,000 views. Now, nah, we need to make this video go viral. Any of you who are still fighting this uh, fight, <laughs> try, try, try to disprove these demented Wilder fanboys, you need to make this video go viral. It's only got 89 thumbs up at the moment, less than 2,000 views. Let's help this guy out over here on this channel, Phoenix Compilations. Let's get this video viral because at the end of the day, I am a supporter of the truth. I mean, a few months back, I was getting people calling me a Tyson Fury hater. Now I'm getting people calling me a Tyson Fury fanboy. <laughs> you see, fanboys always accuse objective people of being fanboys. I'm a fan of the truth. That's what I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of being fair and telling the truth and giving credit where it's due. Tyson Fury did nothing to his gloves. There was no tampering or any nonsense like that that went on in either of the Wilder fights. That's the reality. That's the truth. Why wouldn't I support the truth? Doesn't matter whether I like Tyson Fury, hate him, or feel indifferent. I'm going to support the truth regardless. And the truth is the man did nothing wrong. There was no glove tampering. It's all absolute nonsense by these demented Wilder fanboys. That's what it is. <laughs> all right. So let's make this video go viral and shut all this nonsense down. Yeah. It's happening. Tyson Fury's boxing future is in doubt after a shock claim that a member of his team offered a farmer £25,000 to lie about providing wild boar meat to cover up a failed drug test in 2015. The farmer is a man named Martin Carefoot, who lives in Preston, which is about 30 miles away from where Tyson Fury lives. According to the Mail, in 2017, Carefoot completed two signed witness statements to say that he provided wild boar to the Furies, which were passed to the boxer's lawyers, Morgan Sports Law, who gave them to anti-doping investigators. The second included a line that read, I supplied a range of animal meats and offal to Team Fury, including wild boar and pigs. Carefoot now claims that those statements, which are in the possession of the Mail on Sunday, were lies. He said, I have never kept wild boar. I have never killed a wild boar. In making the allegation that he received an offer of £25,000 for his help, Carefoot told the Mail on Sunday, I just went along with it and they always dangled this carrot that I was going to get paid. When things got quite serious, they offered me a sum of money before it went to court in London and a sum of money after. I went along with them because, I suppose, in my own way, I was just helping them out. When asked if he had been willing to commit perjury for the Furies, Carefoot said, I suppose, if I'd had to, I was in too deep. They were dangling this carrot. I thought, you're going to get 25 grand for this. It's not a hanging matter. So I went along with it. Carefoot, who says he was never paid the money he claims he was promised, added, I feel sick of the lies and deceit and the public need to know the truth. Tyson Fury's co-promoter, Frank Warren, told the Mail on Sunday, back then I was not promoting Tyson. These allegations are totally unfounded and libelous. 
you are dealing with a man who is an admitted liar. Did Tyson ever have a conversation with this man? Which supposed member of Fury's team did have a conversation with this man? You are relying on the word of a liar. Did he lie back then or is he lying now? This is a man who is willing to commit perjury. Okay, so what do we think about this people? Well, before I give my take on it, first a little bit of clarification for those who don't know. Tyson Fury failed a drug test back in 2015 for the Christian Hammer fight. Some people think he failed a drug test for the Klitschko fight. That is completely untrue. He failed a drug test for the Christian Hammer fight and he eventually served a two-year backdated ban. For all the other fights he's had since the Christian Hammer fight, he's been clean. Okay, so let's just get that straight. Now, when he eventually was under investigation by UCAD, which is UK anti-doping, back in 2016, his defense apparently was that he and his cousin Huey had been eating a wild boar every two weeks. And that's the reason there were elevated levels of nandrolone, I believe it was, in his system. Nandrolone is a naturally occurring substance in the human body. But when you have elevated levels, it is often an indication that you've taken some type of external source of nandrolone. And again, according to what the mainstream media have said over the years, Tyson Fury's defense for this was that he was eating these wild boars. So now we've got this guy, a farmer, coming out claiming that he was the one who was willing to lie and say that he supplied the wild boars when he's never supplied anybody wild boars or killed a wild boar in his life, according to what he's saying. And he says that now he wants to see an end to the lies and deceit. I'm assuming he means from Team Fury. Well, <laughs> that's pretty funny to me because he admitted that he was willing to commit perjury. So you can't really take any type of moral high ground when you've admitted that you are willing to take a bribe and commit perjury. Okay, so I don't buy that for a second in terms of his explanation for wanting to come forward. Now, he says he was never paid the money that he was promised. So is this a disgruntled individual who has seen Tyson Fury making loads of money at the moment after his win over Deontay Wilder? And now he thinks, you know what? I'm going to cash in. I'm going to sell my story right now because the newspapers are going to pay me an absolute shed load of money if I go to them now. Is that what's going on? And I'll come to whether I think this guy is telling the truth or not in just a moment. But yeah, it's interesting the timing of these allegations because it stems from back in 2017, according to this guy. This is when the alleged attempted bribe happened. So that's three years ago. Why wait all this time? You know, right when Tyson Fury is riding the crest of a wave. Now, some people think that it's deeper than somebody just trying to cash in or someone who's disgruntled because he wasn't paid what the Fury said they were going to pay him. So now he's, you know, doing what he's doing. Some people think there are more powerful forces at work here because Tyson Fury has made some comments in the past which upset certain communities, let's just say that. And he was pounced on by the media for making these comments several years ago. And there was kind of a witch hunt out for Tyson Fury in the media following the time when he made those comments. And many believe that those forces conspired to keep Tyson Fury out of boxing. And you know, that led to his hiatus of however long it was. Was it three years, two and a half years, three years? And some people, I'm already seeing them online, believe that those same powerful forces are also conspiring to keep Tyson Fury out of boxing again, to bring him down after this win over Deontay Wilder. So I guess they're suggesting that 
the powerful forces have put this farmer up to it. Okay. Then there are others who accuse Eddie Hearn. <laughs> I've seen some people say this is Eddie Hearn trying to keep Tyson Fury out of boxing so he can protect Anthony Joshua. I personally think that's an absurd theory because Anthony Joshua just got knocked out by Andy Ruiz last year. Eddie Hearn knows how vulnerable Anthony Joshua is at this point. Anthony Joshua is not going to be able to avoid tough competition because he's got free belts and he's going to have mandatories for those free belts. So he could lose to somebody else. Why would Eddie Hearn try and keep the biggest payday Anthony Joshua is ever going to see in his career, Tyson Fury, out of boxing and instead have AJ fight for a fraction of the money and potentially lose to somebody else. That doesn't make any sense. So the Eddie Hearn thing, I don't buy that at all. Some people have also said that it could be Al Heyman. He could have been sniffing around in the UK and maybe paid somebody or given a newspaper an incentive to go sniffing around and try and find a way to relieve Tyson Fury of his WBC strap and get that back to Deontay Wilder. There's all kinds of theories flying around. There's a lot of skullduggery in boxing. There's a lot of skullduggery in life in general. There's a lot of skullduggery at all levels of human society. So I am not dismissing the possibility of things this deep happening in the sport of boxing. Not at all. But you got to take it on a case-by-case basis. Is the timing of this suspicious? Absolutely it's suspicious. Because just like after he beat Klitschko, he was riding the crest of a wave and then bang, he gets hit with the UCAD thing. He gets hit with this witch hunt from the media. Same thing this time. Riding the crest of a wave following the Wilder win, bang. All these allegations start coming out about him in the papers. Now, some people, are, excuse me, some people are going to say, well, Tyson Fury is just not a nice guy. You know, he's not the uh, person he portrays himself to be on camera and in interviews. He's actually a bit of a rascal. That's what some people are going to say. But my personal suspicion is that there are powerful forces within the media who do have it in for Tyson Fury because this is not the first negative story that I've seen about Tyson Fury following his win over Deontay Wilder. This is just the latest in a line of several negative stories about Tyson Fury following that win. So certain sections of the media timed it to say something negative about this guy right after he beat Wilder. Okay, so I do think there is something to this. How do I even describe it? Grudge that some sections of the media have for Fury. And again, it could be deeper than just the media. It could be, you know, certain communities, um, certain people in positions of power within society beyond just media. So that's what I'll say about it. Personally, and you know, now we have to come to whether this farmer is actually telling the truth. Personally, I don't really care if he's telling the truth or not at this stage because Tyson Fury already served a ban for the, you know, failed test back in 2015. That's five years ago. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I mean, one failed test, a two-year ban, that's what Dylan White got when he failed a test, right? Luis Ortiz got about six months. I don't think Jarrell Miller got any kind of ban at all. Povetkin got, what was it, a year? And he was only dropped from the WBC rankings, I think, for a year. But he was still fighting in Russia and doing his thing. So look, I do agree with being strict on drug cheats. But unless we had a global um, commission who could act you know, unilaterally across all countries and impose a standardized banning system, then 
you know, it's difficult to make the argument that Tyson Fury should have got a longer ban than two years. You know, particularly when other fighters have failed drug tests and have got much shorter bans. Do you understand? So for me personally, <laughs> I don't really care whether these allegations are true or not. As far as I'm concerned, he served his ban. It was a long time ago. And the fight in question, the Christian Hammer fight, is a pretty inconsequential fight anyway. I know Christian Hammer won't like to hear that, but seriously, people, the Christian Hammer fight, he's been clean since then, Tyson Fury. There was actually Vada testing for the Deontay Wilder fight. I wasn't sure whether there was. I'd heard there wasn't, but apparently there was. Well, not apparently, there definitely was because the WBC confirmed it. So he was Vada tested for that fight. I'm going to assume he was for the first Wilder fight. And of course, he was definitely tested for the Klitschko fight because the Klitschkos are absolutely meticulous. They are very thorough when it comes to checking out their opponents and making sure that they have all the advantages and the opponent has none. So yeah, Tyson Fury has been a clean athlete as far as I'm concerned since the Christian Hammer fight. He served his backdated ban. So I don't care about, you know, none of this business with the wild boar and all this stuff back in 2017 or whatever it was. Um, Will UCAD even want to pursue this because they spent something like £600,000 um, on, you know, legal fees having this battle with Tyson Fury, which lasted two plus years, £600,000. Uh, perhaps they'll try and sue Fury. I don't know, for damages. Maybe they'll say you provided us with false evidence, so now we're going to sue you for damages. But Fury is in a much more powerful position now financially. Do they really want to do that? I don't know. I mean, particularly in the current climate amidst the health situation, uh, globally, but obviously in the UK as well at the moment, the public health situation. Um, Tyson Fury is sitting on, what, tens of millions? UCAD are surely going to lose out on uh, a lot of money over the current period. So do they really want to go court right now with Tyson Fury and try to sue him? I mean, maybe if they feel like they've got a strong enough case. And even if UK had decided to ban Tyson Fury for an extra few years, because one of the things that the article mentions is that Tyson Fury refused a drug test when UK had turned up on a, on a different occasion. And I remember that. So they could also ban him for that. Well, <clears throat> you know, maybe they could do that. I don't see the 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 uh the logic in it or the point in it at this point because Tyson Fury is based in America anyway so if he receives a UK ban it's not really going to affect his boxing unless I'm missing something here I mean some people are going to say yeah but he could have continued to box in America when he was on his ban before and he didn't so maybe there is something prohibiting him from boxing abroad if he's banned in the UK maybe UCAD and the British board, uh, while he was suspended here, were able to write to the commissions abroad and tell them, no, don't give him a license in your jurisdiction. Maybe there was some of that going on. I don't know. But things have changed since then. Tyson Fury's signed with Bob Arum. And surely Bob Arum holds a lot of sway with commissions in the United States. So maybe I'm being too presumptuous here you know maybe the powers that be in boxing in britain would have more sway over the commissions in america than bob arum i don't know you know i'm not behind the scenes in them situations there so let me know what you guys think in the comment section below again this is just my personal view i don't really care whether these allegations are true or not at this stage because that situation is ancient history the man served his ban for it. Does he really need to get dragged through the mud again? Be in another legal battle again? You know, get kept out of boxing again? I think it's unreasonable and a bit silly at this point.
So let me know what you guys think and let me know what you think is actually going to happen here. Will it all blow over, particularly with all the other stuff going on in the news at the moment? Or are these people, whoever they may be, whether it's just this farmer by himself, whether it's this particular newspaper, whether it's powerful forces in British society in boxing who are conspiring against Tyson Fury, are they just going to leave it at this or are they going to stay on Fury's case over the next few months? You know, who knows? We'll see. So drop your comments in the comment section below. Let me know how you feel. It's Hatman, I'm out. Hatman merch is now available. We got t-shirts, vests, hoodies, and more. Just click the link below. Join me on Patreon. I upload a minimum of two podcasts every single week covering a wide variety of controversial topics as well as live stream Q&A sessions. Take a look on screen right now at some of the podcasts I've produced so far. For just $3 a month, the equivalent of about £2 a month, you get access to all my new podcasts and my entire back catalogue of past podcasts including my popular Confessions of a Nightclub Bouncer series. You can listen on your computer or on your smartphone or tablet by downloading the Patreon app from the Google Play Store or the App Store for free. The Patreon app also allows you to download each podcast in MP3. For less than the price of a cup of coffee, you get access to dozens of hours of exclusive content. It's easy to sign up, there's no contract, and you can cancel at any time. So come and join our community of free and critical thinkers by signing up with me here on Patreon today. It's class, mate. It's going really good. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better training camp up until now. So, God willing, everything just keeps going the way it's going, and then um, we'll get a fight night on peak. Coming out here in Marbella, obviously with Mick and the rest of Adam Moose's right. sort of uh, camp. How does this sort of break up camp? Does it sort of give you a bit of a, a recharge, a refresh? Different uh, surroundings, different. Uh, it's good that we've got the opportunity to come out here, and it's good that we've been like, welcomed out here, and the, the things which. Like the, the gym's so sure good, do you know what I mean? And the facilities and stuff, so MTK and Marbella couldn't, like, um, couldn't speak more highly of, to be fair. Um, the absolutely quality, so it's good to come out here, get a week in the, in the, sort of in the sun, training, training hard and getting the vitamin C and then and the vitamin D and go back and then um, just re sort of recharge, go back and feel fresh and you're in, in the home straight of the, uh, of the camp then. Before we look forward, let's take a step back. Your last two fights have both been in America. Yeah. In December, you fought um, Campo. Yeah. You uh, didn't really come to engage, yeah. that's fair to say. Is that a bit of a frustrating fight? Yeah, it was just a bit like over one of them where I knew I wasn't looking good from Bell One. And, um, I mean, I got a cut straight away in the first 30 seconds. He hit my glove, hit my eye, burst my eye open, which, uh, which was um, a fresh cut from Spawn like 10 days before. So I was thinking to myself, oh man, first round, I thought, oh. Here we go, and the kid was running and running and running. So I thought it wasn't really my ideal style to fight against, but it is what it is. I, I got the win and I got through, and I just had to do what I had to do. So for this one, it should, it should suit my style a lot better for someone coming forward trying to uh, take my head off, in a sense. The one before Campo was uh, Ray Robinson, yeah. which was a draw on the scorecards, which you know, I think uh, everyone accepted you, you got the nod. Yeah. Yeah. Was, he, was he a bit underrated? Because you know, he got a win against um, Kavalowskis. Who yeah. then stopped Abanisius. So, yeah. in a way, you're fighting someone who's I mean, the top 10, 15. Uh, he, he, is, he is very underrated. I don't think he gets the credit he's due because a lot of the fights he has has went under the radar. He's fought another kid who Abanisius got a draw with and he won in a unanimous decision. But we can all connect dots. But at the end of the day, you've got to go in and do your stuff for business. But Ray Robinson come with a game plan. He's tall, rangy, outward. Uh, big long southpaw, can reach distance, doesn't necessarily have to do a lot with his feet or body to get there, so he doesn't use a lot of energy getting into distance, he can sort of just prod with his arms and he's there. So um, it was a big experience for me. Um, I had a long training camp um, and I went to New York, Madison Square Gardens to fight on my first big step up, so it was all just like... A learning curve. <laughs> it was all a massive learning curve. Um, I mean, God loves a trial, so I went there and just did what I had to do and. I thought I thought I got the decision, but at the end of the day we move on and we go onwards and upwards like now. Onwards and upwards it is. Yeah. Headline the O2. You've headlined the Newcastle Walker Dome. Yeah. 
previous uh, headliner, yeah. now it's the O2. Yeah. I mean, that in itself is quite an achievement and one that you must thrive under. I mean, it is massive. Uh, family and friends keep seeing like, it's the O2. Headline in the O2. Like, people perform there and they see an act which perform there, etc. But for me, it's just another fight. I could be. I could be like not top of the bill. I could be. I could be on the undercard. But I'm blessed that I am there, and I, um, I'm thankful for it. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a job I've got to get done. It doesn't matter if I'm at the bottom where no one's watching or at the top. So either way, I've got to go in and fight this guy. So I'm ready for that. Let's take a step back to the 8th of December 2018. So it was the day of the fight. Yeah. He was supposed to fight David in Sheffield. Yeah. Could you just talk us through what happened when you woke up from your side. Oh mate, I was I was in dreadful. I was in a dreadful way. The night before, the, well, the, literally the week before on a Sunday, I said uh, I was with Adam at his um, friends and family sort of like party for his fiftieth, and um, I just showed my face and then got off. But I says, listen, I'm feeling a bit, my throat feels a bit scratchy, I feel a bit dodgy. So I says, listen, I'm going to get off. He said, right, we'll we'll normally do a hard session for the last week. He said, we'll we'll uh, knock that on the head and we'll just go into fight with it. I went, fair enough. So I went down, travelling down, and so I've still got this throat and I still feel a bit ill. He says, right, we'll get some garlic and everything else in here and try and like, get your immune system up. Oh, it's sweet. So obviously making the weight and the, 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 the illness coming on top, I just sort of crashed this. And then the, the morning I woke up, I was sat there shivering in bed. Um, oh my, I was, I got up, I actually said, Adam, I'm still fighting, I'm going to still try and fight. He said, nah, you got, like, we can't. Like, and I mean, that's what a coach is there for, and that's what, Sensible coaches too, do you know what I mean? And he could have let us fall. And the way Avanesi's been performing, then it would have it would have been detrimental for me, do you know what I mean? Could have been life threatening in a sense, as I was about 30% of what I normally was. So forgetting that now and moving on, um, I feel like I'm 100% now. God willing, I'm 100% when I go into the fight, so that's all, that's all needs to happen. David's got the European title. Yeah. I mean, that's a, another belt for your collection. Yeah. That must be a, must be a driving force. Now you're the cha challenger in this yeah. fight, he's got something you want. 100%. I've just seen the European title over there, it's hanging on the wall somewhere, so it feels like it's coming into play. So, uh, I feel like I'm attracting it a little bit. But, um, I, I mean, I want the win more than anything. The win doesn't matter anything else. The win and coming out healthy and safe and uh, getting back to our families, that's the main thing. So, that's all, that's all I'm focusing on. Training as hard as I can so I can keep myself safe and healthy in that way. Let's talk about David stylistically. Yeah. Um, he's quite an aggressive sort of kung fu fighter. Yeah. Do you study your opponents? Will you watch him a lot, or do you leave that down to Adam and the team? I do. I, do. I mean, I watch him. Adam watches him. I just watch him when I feel as though I need a refresh on what what, what he looks like and what he what it looks as though it'll feel like being in there with him. So, ah, he's a good, strong, solid professional. You can't take anything away from him. He's a quality fighter. So that's all I can say. So he's coming off three good wins, two of them against Lorenga yeah. uh, in in Spain. So you know, he's a real danger man, isn't he? Yeah, mate. He's a dangerous fighter. So. I am the underdog, I've got everything stacked against this, so listen, I'm going in there to enjoy it. And um, that's the first time I can actually go in there and just say, right, I'm the underdog, let's go and enjoy it, because all the other ones have been stacked favourites, you know what I mean? So this one's good. I was going to say, that's my expression, expression actually, you are the bookies underdog for this fight. Yeah. That brings a different kind of pressure. Do you feel a bit like it's maybe pressures off a little bit, because yeah. you know, you're expected yeah. by some to, to get turned over here? I mean, pressures, I never really feel much pressure when I go into the ring, I just box, but um, like you say, I think what happens is when I win the pressure, the, the pressure what's being put on beforehand will it'll, it'll, um, elevate me win to a different level, do you know what I mean? And it's not just a win against David Avanesian, it's a win against this so-called monster, so I'm ready. We all know you're undoubtedly you know, an elite sort of talent, so to speak, coming through. You've only had 11 fights? 11. That's sort of got under the radar a little bit, hasn't uh, it? You're still developing. <laughs> I think a lot of people are saying, I don't know, I think a lot of the social media hype brings you up to a level where you're not at. And I mean, I don't believe in any of that. I don't believe in the hype. I don't believe in the criticism. I just believe in what I'm doing in the gym. So I just feel as though 11 fights in, if you compare this fight to anybody else's fights, at 11 fights, you're not going to see many people taking fights and jumps at this level. So first of all, I feel as though I should get a bit of appreciation for that, but I'm not here for the appreciation, I'm not here for the, the negatives, I'm just here for myself, my family and securing that lifestyle for, for the future, but and um, becoming Sunderland's first world champion and bringing big fights up there. Um, at the end of the day, 
11 fights in, um, this is a big step, and I've got to, I've got to do what I've got to do. And I feel as though I'm ready now. So it's a big step. This fight now is twice as big, isn't it, than it was 18 yeah, years ago? Massive. In a way, it's, it all comes together. And yeah. Like you mentioned there, the European side on the wall. Yeah. Does it sort of feel like everything was meant to be, in a, in a weird sort of way? It, sort of, it is. I mean, I, might, I probably weren't ready for that fight back. back I, I think we should also take that seven or eight fights. Yeah. Back at seven or eight fights. And the big man upstairs was saying, listen, you're not ready. You got to, I'm going to pull you back from this. But now everything seems to be going the way it's going. So I feel as we say, look, now time to, time to get back in the ring and do what, you, do what you were born to do, essentially. So can't wait. A couple of weeks ago, we had the press conference in, in London to, yeah. to square off the, the fight. What do you make of Neil Marsh's uh, antics on, on the top table? <laughs> he... <laughs> Is that Oh, mate, uh, that's it. It's just uh, school, it's sort of schoolboy stuff. What can you say? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't need to be the Neil Marsh and Adam Boucher, does it? Nah, no, it's a fight, but like, you won't. Do, I don't want to say anything about it. No one. So, David, a couple of weeks away, um, he's training over here. Yeah. Have you, um, have you heard anything on the grapevine, him training? You know, there's only stories floating around from the gyms of David because he's based in the UK. Do, do nah, like I haven't heard nothing. I don't really keep, I don't really keep me eating the floor like that, to be fair. I don't really, um, sort of focus on I don't really watch too much social media. If you ask any of my friends anything now, they, they're trying to get in touch with it's barely impossible because I'm just off my phone. I just sort of put it aside. I have time for missus and the baby and maybe family like my mum and dad. And then uh, other than that, I just sort of just leave it aside and people say, listen, where are you at? We need to get this shot, we need to get that. And I'm just, I just like go off radar a little bit. So. Is that because the magnitude of this fight, you, you know, you realise you, know, you, can't, you can't step up there. This is next level stuff. I mean, yeah, it's a fight. It's a fight. With every fight where you step up, you got to be shorter. It's like saying, when I was a kid, you're going to go to the Olympics and you're going to turn professional. You're going to be on Sky Sports. You're going to headline the too. As a kid, I couldn't comprehend that. I'd just my head would be, my head would be blown. But now, when you get to these levels, you're already ready, mentally, physically, emotionally. So I feel like this year of hardening up, where I had to take that pull out, I had to take little things like the draw. That the village, it's, it's sort of callousness in a way that now I'm ready for this. So I just, it's not because I'm uh, because of the magnitude of the fight. It's just because I'm focused and just not, I'm just not, don't want the attention outside the boxing. You mentioned the Olympics. Uh, this is an Olympic year. How's the sort of the last four year cycle gone? Has it been a whirlwind for you? Yeah, I mean, it went so fast. Four years. Wow. <laughs> I had four years, man. Life goes quick, you know. It moves fast and. I was a kid when I turned from the Olympics, literally, like, I, I look at photos now. And um, I look at the size of tops I was wearing and stuff, and I was in, like, a, I was in, like, a little kid's frame top, do you know what I mean? I was in, like, smalls and stuff, just really, really small. And, um, like, I, it's mad. I've, I've got now, I've got a baby, I've got another one on the way. I'm married. Um, I've got 10 good wins under my belt, should have been 11. Um, but. And I'm going to the biggest fight, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I want the biggest fight in my life, so I can't really ask for much more. And just uh, just talking about the sort of family side and stuff, does that sort of allow you to settle down more and to become a bit more mature? You know, you've got the ring in your finger, you've got a, a baby to cater for, yeah. another one, a, a wife, you know. Josh Kelly is now a fully-fledged man, so yeah. you've got to provide for, for your family. You have, um, and like, it sort of takes its natural course. If you're ready, you're ready. If you're not, you're not. I mean, like, there's my brother, he's 25. He's the same age as me now for a month. So he's the same age as me. So, and he's on a different, he's on a different thing. He's enjoying himself, he's doing, he's single, he's doing what he wants. But he's not ready, he says he's not ready for this. Although he's mature in different areas, he's not ready for this sort of lifestyle. While me, I feel as though my lifestyle is just a natural course. And when I had the first, when I had the first baby, um, Josh Jr., I was sort of just, everything was just sort of more focused. You just naturally go to like, listen, I've got to provide for him. Like some days where I'm getting up and I feel like I'm making and I'm like, right, I can't really be bothered going to the gym today. Sometimes I just think you got this one, this one's for him, this session's for him, like this one. Do you know what I mean? And I get through it like that. And just two more to, to finish up. Uh, we've seen you in recent weeks having the red and white Sunderland scarf on yeah. and uh, pitch side for the recent game. Is that a, is that a realistic sort of future aim? You want a boxer? 100%. 100%. I've always been a Sunderland supporter through and through. But it's just 
really now I'm starting to blast it out on the, I mean I, I, if you look I've leaked it through my social media but now I'm really starting to blast it out as I've got a voice now I'm on the O2 I'm headlining and um, there's not there's not many um, arenas in Sunderland so the only other arena is to go to Newcastle and I don't want to do that I want to be in Sunderland so to get the to get the stadium I need to be I need to be shouting when I've got a voice and now I've got a voice in the O2 then I feel as though now win this I could possibly get back up there the next couple of fights. And I know it sounds crazy and people will say, what? But to comprehend the next couple of fights after this, which I never, ever, never, ever look past this fight, because this fight's the most dangerous, biggest fight in my life. So I'm not going to actually mention anything else. <laughs> yeah, we see where you come from. Uh, finally, what can fans expect to see from Josh Kelly on March 28th? Um, concentrated, solid performance. Um, that's all I can say. Like, there's always... There's always um, controversy in my fights. Um, not controversy, but sort of people have their opinions and what, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. But um, if the fight plays out the way I feel it will play out, then it's going to have a good night. It'll be a night to enjoy on the 28th of March. Josh, best of luck in the rest of camp. Yes. God bless. Thank you, brother. Flexant here for Seconds Out with Frank Warren, legendary Hall of Fame promoter. Frank, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Good Obviously, man. coming off the press conference for Anthony Yard against yeah. Lyndon Arthur, that card on uh, April 11th is getting pretty stacked now. It is, isn't it? There's some good fights on there, and they're good competitive fights, even money fights, big punches. So uh, I think there'll be some action on the night. Did they take much convincing? I know Arthur's team have been chasing this fight for a little while, but maybe mm -hmm. Anthony had ideas of, of a higher level fight perhaps? Well he did but, but the thing was the WBO had called for those two eliminators that, um, uh, for their title so he's the next guy in and we wanted to make sure that he fought a rated guy and a rated fighter who's Linda, he's got a WBO ranking so the winner of that I hope will become the mandatory. It's a tough fight for both of them. We also got uh, Chris Jenkins, Johnny Garton for the British title yeah. on the bill. Any, any more kind of surprises up your sleeve? Um, not at the moment. We're, you know, we're looking at a couple of things, but I mean that's the, the, the nucleus of the show. And you mentioned that the press conference, you've sold 12,500 tickets so yeah. far without the undercard even being announced. Yeah. What, what are you projecting as a, an overall Well, gate? so everybody knows, the place holds just under 20,000, but about, I think it's about 4,500 of those are the benches, the people who got the boxes, so we don't have the boxes. So that's what we've got to sell. So I'll use my quick maths to say what that's about, 15? Yeah, just under 15, yeah. Brilliant. And do you project to sell it out? Yeah. Plenty of time to go. And we're doing this. The ticket's going really well. Have you had much, um, many reports from the camps of Dubois and Joyce ahead of this and how they're looking and stuff like that? From both of them. I spoke to Sam Jones uh, a few days ago. He said his man's looking in excellent shape. But he should look in excellent shape. He's in a tough fight. And the same for Daniel as well. You know, Martin's... Really pleased the way um, the training's going, so I think there's going to be no excuses on the on the night for anybody. And obviously Nathan Gorman, who we saw um, lose to Daniel not too long ago, he's now coming back as well. It's going to be an interesting mix in the next few years, certainly domestically and maybe beyond. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not the end of the world for uh, guys who lose fights. I mean, we, you know, I can sort of look back to when we did uh, James DeGaulle and uh, George Groves very early in their careers, and uh, both of them went on to win world titles. So it's not the end of the world to get beat. Is this kind of a pattern that you'd like to see continued, domestic kind of rivalries leading well, to big we've, fights? we've done it over the years. We, you know, if you go and look at some of the big domestic fights, they're fights that we've put together with our, with our fellas. And uh, as I say, it's, it's, um, it's, that's what the fans want to see. They want to see the best fights in the best. Now, the war against Joyce, April 11th, we talked about, it's going to be on BT Sport box office. Something that I know a lot of fans are talking about at the moment is there's quite a lot of pay-per-view events in boxing taking place around that period. Obviously, that's the only one on BT Sport, but there's a few on Sky, I think three in a short period of time. Joshua, Wyatt, Povetkin, and Chisora Usyk, which hasn't officially been announced yet, but we're expecting it at the end of May. What do you say to fans out there who are kind of struggling and, and having to pay, well, not having to, but if they want to see them all, they have to pay quite a lot of money? Well, if you want to see the best fight, it's the one we're putting on. That's what <laughs> I'd say to them. Simple as that. We're not, we're not overloading them with, uh, with pay-per-view. Fights. I mean, you know, to get the fight we had to to get that fight on between Daniel and Joe, we had to 
give them some serious guarantees and the only way it works is through pay-per-view but that's what it is but we're not overloading BT subscribers with pay-per-view events I mean it's just one and it's got an excellent un undercard with some cracking fights on it yeah you got the question you need to ask are the people who are promoting those fights it's not for me to talk about what they're doing rest assured I will good um, but do you when you hear that they've announced Squire this is announced that many pay-per-view fights around your fight as well do you kind of sigh inwardly a little bit and think it's not great well, for the fans. Of it's, 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 you know, I could do, do without that, and they probably could do about themselves. They're competing against themselves, but that's nothing unusual. We're doing it all last year and the year before. I mean, you could go and look and see how many they've put on. It's, it's, that's their model. That's their business model. So, you know, let them get on with it. It's not my problem. Will we see, with that being their business model, if that is the case, will we see BT stepping into the void a bit more, so more regular BT sports shows? We do the same as we always do. We, we, we have a contract with them to deliver a certain amount of dates per annum, and we will carry on doing what we've been doing since we've been with them, which is delivering quality events. And if we've got to step up to compete with, which we have to do, to compete at a certain level in the market, then some of those events will be pay-per-view. Can you project any fights that you see in the future, maybe the rest of this year, that could end up being pay-per-view for you guys? Big fights? Joshua and Tyson. Well, I should say Tyson and Joshua. Yeah, that'd be one, certainly. And uh, I'm sure there's a couple of other fights out there, but you know, I'm not even thinking about that at the moment. I'm just thinking about what we're doing there and, uh, and obviously working our, our way towards our guys getting exposure. It's very important they get exposure and get seen by the, uh, by the public. That's why we did that last one as well at your, at your call with ITV. You know, we worked very hard to get some exposure there for some of our guys, and they got some good, they, they were seen by quite a few people. Is that a relationship that's likely to continue? Uh, we're, 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 we, we hope so, and we're working on it. time Usyk was uh, preparing to win his Olympic gold so I won't be surprised if Usyk was watching that fight and here he is now eight years later about to step in the ring um, with, with that same same Derek Chisora and uh, it's uh, you know it, it just shows how seasoned you know Derek is how much experience he's had you know compared to Usyk. Usyk a supreme amateur you know a supreme professional at cruiserweight ticked all the boxes you could ever ask for in terms of a dominant champion, the champions that he faced and beat on foreign soil, the way he did it, you know, the, the, the way he's been able to uh, have such a uh, rock-solid cruiserweight campaign. Uh, he signed it off with the, the huge fight at the O2 Arena with um, was it Manchester against Tony Bellew. And um, he... He now believes he, he's the next phase for him. He's ticked every box in his career, and his now his next phase, his next, you know, target, which is probably and has always probably been his biggest target of being the heavyweight champion of the world. I know as an amateur, it was my dream to win the Olympics. It never happened. You know, I got silver at the World Championships. Uh, you know, but I made that up because I my ultimate goal was to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And um, you know, Usyk, you know. He was pretty better amateur than I was. He was in the Olympic Olympic gold. You know, as, as a professional, he's done as much as you possibly can do. But that fight against the heavyweight champion, the big guy, can the small guy beat the big guy? Um, I I don't think Usyk has the punch power to become the heavyweight champion. I think myself and Evander Holyfield, the only two people to do it, and both of us. Can crack if you look at the way he beat Buster Douglas. You know he, he punched like a heavyweight. You know he wasn't pity patter stuff. He went out there and was was willing to lay some lever some big punches. And I did the same thing. I, the only reason I, I believe I had such success at uh, heavyweight was because I punched so hard. And when you're fighting a big guy, you need to hit that big guy hard to get his respect. Because if you don't, he's he will just use his superior size and strength to grind you down. Everyone tried to do it to me at Cruiserweight from my first defence against John Ruiz. First thing he said, I'm just going to go down and put it on me, put it on me. Because I was naturally 90 kilos, he was naturally 115 kilos. He was always significantly bigger than I was. So he wanted to use that advantage in size. But when you hit someone, 
it puts them on the back foot. And once on the back foot, your superior skills then can, can, can rise to the occasion. But Derek Chisora knows he can't have a boxing match with Usyk. He doesn't want to go out there jab for jab, you know, having a look around him. Because what these uh, Eastern European guys, particularly the Ukrainians, so Limachenko and Usyk, uh, for instance, they wait for the first round. They process you in the first round. They let you do what you're doing, move around. They don't mind losing the first round, second round. They don't mind doing that. Because in that first two rounds, they're figuring you out. They're, they're boxing. Their boxing brain's just working overdrive to work out what your feints are, what's your movement. When I do this, what do you do? You know, okay, you jab, let me figure out your distance and your speed. Okay, you didn't hit me there. Okay, you hit me here. They're working you out. And once around three, four, they then try to they go back to the corner, they put a plan to action, and they then implement it. And it's one for him 100% of the time doing that. So that was against cruiserweights. David, you, you say that it's how... You, you question whether Usyk can become world champion because you're not sure about his punch power. It it's is not because of that, it's because of the size factor and the fact that he doesn't have, as, as yet, he hasn't shown me in the ring, in amateur, professional cruiserweight or heavyweight, that he can hit a big man who weighs 250 pounds hard enough for them to stand off to stop moving forward. The reason I, I'm about to ask you this is because you have arguably the number one heavyweight in the world where it is still questionable whether he has punched bow, and that's Tyson Fury, and yet he's arguably the number one. He has a size, though. He weighs 270-odd pounds. You don't need to punch hard, literally one punch. You just need to be that big. You need to be able to absorb what the other person's taken and keep moving forward. Usyk can't do that to it's never been his style to try to use that that size so i know what you're saying it makes sense you know you don't have to be a one punch knockout specialist to punch but you need enough power to get the respect of a big man and has Usyk done anything punch power wise up until this point again even his, his only heavyweight fight against um chad witherspoon has he that fight did he hit him with something so significant that um he didn't keep moving forward no he just I wasn't that impressed I wasn't that impressed I know it was his first fight and he was getting adjusted to the weight but if there's ever a time to try to to jump all over Usyk is at this stage in his career you don't want him to have two or three more fights as a heavyweight to, to fill into the weight to get used to training camp sparring the bigger guys I think this is the, the perfect storm and a perfect position where Derek Chisora of all his whole career, now he's at his best. He's 36 years old. That sounds crazy, you know. He's, I boxed him when he was 28, or, and mentally he wasn't a professional fighter. He he didn't take training seriously. He didn't live the life. He wasn't sacrificing. He wasn't watching what he was eating. He wasn't watching what he was drinking. He was he wasn't doing what needs to be done to get the best out of himself. Now he is. He might be a little bit older, a, little, a few more miles on the clock, but he's significantly more effective now as a. Uh, as a contender than, he, than he's ever been. And if there's ever a time that he's needed 12 rounds of hellacious action in him, it's a fight where he could be outboxed for the majority of the fight. But all he needs is one round of lever landing. The, the combination that he landed against Spilka. If he lands that against Usyk, they're both similar sizes. Spilka's probably bigger than him. You know, Spilka's gone down to cruiserweight now. So he, that's how hard he hits. So if he can use it, but once again, you, Derek Chisora wouldn't be considered a one-punch knockout specialist, but because he's so heavy and because he's so strong and he just keeps moving forward. So that's a Carlos Takam. Exactly. You know, the fact that he was able to take that beating from Carlos Takam, could you take a beating like that? I don't believe so. I don't believe he never has. And, I believe, uh, and the fact that he's never taken it means he's probably quite fresh, but he's then unconditioned to taking abuse because he's so skillful, he never does. Inspiring in fights. I'm not saying he's soft, he's not soft, he's tough as they come, but he's never had to take a beating, not that I've seen. Maybe behind closed doors he has some real tough sparring, but his fights are so calm and he's so in control, he's never had to go soul searching, he's never had to dig deep. Derek's had to dig deep in pretty much all of his fights. He's normally he's losing the fight most of the time and he's got to find a knockout. Sometimes he gets it, sometimes he doesn't, but now he's taking it seriously. He's got 12 rounds of fight in him and... I think Team Music have made a, a horrendous um, error in picking. <laughs> They've picked Derek Chisora. They've literally picked, they could have picked anybody. They picked Derek Chisora as their opponent. I think they got it way wrong. Dave, um, 
in regards to Derek's trainer, we know mm. in the last fight, mm. he brought in Steve Broughton. Mm. For this fight, mm. is there going to be a change of mm. trainer then, or is, are we sticking, are we sticking with the same he's, guy? he's been work, doing a lot of work with uh, Leon Williams. Um, he's been doing a lot of stuff with the guys at London Shoot Fighter. Ruben Tabaras is still in his corner. No, so he's got a, same, a very similar team. Um, he's focusing a lot more on sparring. He's focusing a lot more on sparring action and um, drills. And this fight is about conditioning. This fight is about him being able to maintain what he does. You know, there's no need trying to teach him how to slip this and do, the, do all this technical stuff because anything technical, this guy wins it. He just needs to be able to attack, attack, attack. And if he's attacking and missing, he just needs to keep going. He just has to, the only way, he's got to work his way in. Once he's in, he's got to do as much damage every time he comes into close proximity. It's going to be an exciting fight. It's a tough fight for Derek to win. Many people think he'll get battered over the distance. He'll either lose on points or get stopped late. But Derek, Derek, Derek knows that. And every time Derek's been up against it, though, against Carlos Takam, I wrote him off, everyone wrote him off. He found a way to win. Against Spilka, everyone was saying he's a southpaw. Derek don't know how to fight southpaws. Look, against the Gashi fight, he looked terrible. Next fight against a better southpaw, he went nine rounds with Deontay Wilder. He smokes him in a couple of rounds. Same thing with David Price. Everyone thought he had the, the wrong range. How's he going to get past the jab? He found a way and got him out of it, up close, inside. That's where Derek does his best work. Outside, it's not his game. But when he gets inside, when he gets rough and tough, that's where Derek Chisora can be effective against anyone in the world. And if you look, and you, if you have a boxing match with Yusuke, you, you lose no matter who you are. That's what I think Derek Chisora's style is probably the worst style for Yusuke. I think anti, sounds weird, but I think anti Joshua's style is a, it would be a boxing style. So it would be a long range affair. Anything long range with Yusuke, he's winning most of the time. So I think this the fight against Chisora is actually more dangerous for Yusuke because it's not a boxing match, it'll be a fight. And, uh, and I can't see um, Anthony Joshua just walking into range, taking shots and just to land his own. No, that's not how Anthony Joshua fights, he's a, he's a slick boxer. You know, look at his last fight against Andy Ruiz, he was trying to outbox. If he tries to outbox the master boxer who's pound for pound, one of the best at boxing, he's never a hard night. But the, what Derek's gonna bring to the table is something very, very different than what AJ will bring, what anybody else will bring, because it's not boxing, it's fighting. It's a big difference, and you'll see on the night what the difference is. Do you honestly believe that if Derek Chisora wins this, this match, they will fight an Anthony Joshua or somebody else for a world title and can win it? Do you honestly believe he can do that? I, I can't think about one minute past this fight, but the fact that um, Eddie couldn't think of a better result than Derek Chisora winning this fight and then going on and uh, fighting, that's what a massive all-British showdown. You know, Derek Chisora's got a massive, massive fan base now. People really got behind him. He was nearly the forgotten man at one stage, but he's, he's shown what most people love. It's, to come, it's a comeback story. It's when people write you off and you come back and do something significant. And he has, he's changed his life around. He's completely, he's a, he's a born-again Christian now. He's completely changed so much in his life. And he's getting the success that he always should have had that he didn't get. And I think the fans have seen that. They kind of wrote him off a while. And they're like, no, that's your fact. Derek's doing it. He's putting it, they're looking at his Instagram. They're seeing that he's training every day. He's putting the efforts in. He's watching his food. He's ticking all the boxes that you need to tick if you're going to, going to the top. And he's, he's there. He's nearly there, one fight away from it. So, you know, I can't think about, you know, anything past, you know, uh, May 23rd. But I'm telling you, you know, don't write Derek off. Do not write him off. Um, the hardest thing to adapt with is is the mindset that you you don't want to put on too much weight because instinctively you want to bulk up you fight a big guy you think okay I'm only 90 kilos okay I'm 95 kilos you know I, I'll be better at 100 kilos seeing that for instance when I fought Klitschko Klitschko was on 115 kilos I was 95 kilos and I if I could put on another five kilos, maybe that'll give me some more punch resistance, but it doesn't, it slows you down. So the, having the mental side of things having, and having a team, a strength and conditioning team that don't care what you weigh, they just want you to punch as hard as you can for as long as you can, to have the legs to move around and apply whatever the game plan is that you've set. And if he doesn't have a good team around him, he's, if he comes in at anything over 217, if he puts on any more than 17, 18 pounds, I think it will work against him. And um, if he comes in 225, for instance, I think that's a fantastic thing for Derek. 
because he'll have to be carrying around that additional weight. It didn't work for uh, Deontay Wilder putting on the additional weight. You know, it worked for Tyson Fury. But Tyson Fury is a significantly bigger man. You know, when you're the little guy, you need to be the little guy in the fight. You need to fight like the little guy. You can't be the big guy. It's just not. And that was, I'd say, that was the biggest challenge: being able, being confident that me as a cruiserweight and a little bit more, five kilos more than a cruiserweight, being just 10 pound over the cruiserweight limit was good enough to fight these giants. That was, that was, the, that was, that was the toughest part. She did some salsa, did some salsa, some merengue, just getting the, the foot and the hand, the, the, the brain and the feet connected. You should check him out, put, get some, put some salsa on and see what you can do. He's pretty impressive. Yeah, Dave, thank you very much.